This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Equity Mind. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you G'day Equity Mates and welcome back to another episode where we're tracking our journey of investing and whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, if you're joining us for the very first time, a huge welcome. It is great to have you as part of the Equity Mates community. It is great that you are starting your investing journey. If you feel like you need to get up to speed, we do have another episode say <laughs> we do have another show <laughs> ren's showing me stuff on instagram we do have another show called get started investing which will get you up to speed now while we are licensed we are not aware of your financial circumstances so any information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes only any advice is general but with that said my name is bryce and as always i'm joined by my equity buddy ren how are you i'm very good bryce i've put the phone down and nice. i am fully focused <laughs> good. um i'm excited for this interview this was a great one. Uh, Rachel Cruz joined us in the studio, well, virtually in the studio, all the way from Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, the daughter of Dave Ramsey. Mm. Now, uh, people may be familiar with that name, but if they're not, Dave Ramsey, one of the biggest money personalities in the world, has, I think, the third biggest radio show in the US. Not money radio show, just radio show, yeah. massive. I think he does three hours a day, five days a week. Yeah. That's the kind of content production I want to get to. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> and Rachel has followed in his footsteps and has her own show, uh, the Rachel Cruz Show, uh, co-hosts the Dave Ramsey Show and has written a number of best-selling books as well. So mm. some serious money expertise joining us today. Yeah, but what I liked about it, you would think that uh, being the daughter of Dave Ramsey, you'd have it all down pat. But I think, you know, throughout the interview, she was honest that she still has things that she's working on in her money journey. It was great to get an insight into how she thinks about money with her kids and her husband, some of the budgeting hacks and also passive income tips to uh, fight the cost of living crisis that we're going through at the moment. And then we dig into how she thinks about building wealth through investments like property and, and stocks as well. So, yeah, it's a great interview. Well, Rachel, uh, welcome to Equity Mates. Thank you. Thanks for having me, you guys. I appreciate it. I'd love to know if you could take us through the story of your first investment. We always like to know from our guests if there was a story or uh, if it was just 
plain and simple, dollar cost into an ETF, whatever it is. But if you could share the story of your first investment. Yes. Okay. So my first investment, I'm going to give credit to my parents on that one. They opened up a mutual fund uh, in each of our names that they just kind of put some money in. Um, and it was under like an UPMA, like a, in America, like the University, Universal Transfer of Minors Act. So under that act, you can open on behalf of a child mm. an investment. So they did that. Um, gosh, I don't know how old I was. I mean, they probably like 12 or 13. Nice. And I remember dad sitting down with us and like opening up the paperwork and showing us like this graph of like the stock market, you know, here in America and like all of that and starting to learn. Now, granted, I didn't, I mean, at that age, I probably had no idea, but I remember him saying things like, yeah, well, as you're, you'll have your mutual fund, your mutual fund. And he kept saying that word and reminding us. And so once I graduated college, got married, that was kind of part of a gift of like, hey, here's how to help you start off life. And they didn't put that much in, but you guys know with investing in compound interest, it's such a great thing seeing it grow. So uh, we never really cashed it out. We we used that money and continued to let it grow and put more money in. So we still have that same fund nice. today, which Love is crazy. Nice. Yeah. It uh, reminds me a lot of uh, Bryce's uh, money story here. We often joke about uh, he's sort of the textbook example of how you should teach your kids about money, and I'm the opposite. I was a dumb 20-year-old just throwing money in the stock market and losing it. And Bryce, similar to you, sat down uh, with his parents and started investing at a very early age. You've actually written a uh, number one New York Times bestselling book, Smart Money, Smart Kids, all about helping kids uh, or teaching your kids the, the right money habits and about investing and stuff like that. How have you then gone about teaching your kids? And like, what are some of the key things that Bryce and I don't have kids yet, but you know, we're in our 30s now. It's coming quickly. What should we be thinking about uh, when we have kids and we want to teach them about money? Yes. You know, I think one of the basic things my parents did, uh, which was so smart, and it's something we're doing with our kids, is teaching them that money comes from work. Money doesn't just appear. It doesn't just, like, come from mom and dad with this magical card that we swipe or on our phones that we get to tap a button and just stuff appears. Money, you have to make money by working. So we teach them that. Uh, you know, just doing chores around the house and making them earn some money. And then, I mean, we say it a lot of like, hey, we're going, we're going to work, you know, and thankfully, you know, I, I'm, I think we all have a level of service in all of our work, if you can view it in that standpoint. So I'm like, I get to go and help people, but also I make money so that we can put food on the table and live in this house. And like, like I'm, I do remind them and if they, if stuff breaks, I'm like, it costs money. And mom has to go to work and dad has to go to work to make money to replace that. Like it's become like a theme because I'm like, I want them to know like so ingrained that that's where money comes from. It mm. comes from work. So it has been a big, you know, uh, push of mine and my husband's to connect work and money. Because I just think that's really important for especially the younger generation. I just want them to know that that's where it comes from. And then once you earn money, you can give it, you can save it, you can spend it. So even having little jars in their room so they know the difference, you know. So it's really, I mean, it's honestly basic stuff. It's nothing that's like really complicated. Um, you know, the mutual fund stuff, that's great discussion, but you don't need to teach your four-year-old that. Like, they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> they can go through life and be okay without that right now. Uh, but what's fascinating, too, uh, is we've just now run up against this. It's kind of become a problem. And so we had to put a stop to it because my girls, my two older girls, they're eight and five. So they're still little. But it was like everything was like, okay, if I go upstairs and get dressed for school, do I get a dollar? <laughs> like, no. And it's like, I mean, everything, they just want money. And then it was like, 
Can we, can we, can we get Amazon on your phone, mom? Can we hit the Amazon app? Can we go to Target? Can we go? And they just wanted to buy. And, and it kind of was a thing that was building for about two years, or I'm sorry, two months. And just last week, we set them down and we're like, we're not buying you all anything. You can't spend your money. You can do nothing about acquiring stuff until August 1st. Nothing. <laughs> and so our deal with them is whatever they save through these three months, we're going to double. We'll match it. And then they can go buy some stuff. But it was like little materialistic children running around <laughs> being like, I want, I want, I'll do this to make it. And I'm like, oh, this is exhausting. So we, so it ended up kind of backfiring a little bit. I felt it. So. All that to say, the intention is all good. I still think it's great lessons, but sometimes you even need boundaries with little ones to <laughs> keep all the stuff out. Love that. Man, they will just buy. Well, Rachel, you say that you're a natural spender through a lot of the content that you do, which is, I think is great. You know, it's not all about, uh, it's about being honest with yourself and then developing a money plan from there. So how have you gone about developing an effective money plan for, for, and, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of us sitting at home listening to this will think of ourselves as natural spenders. So what are some of the, the ways that you developed a plan that suited your, your spending? Yeah, I think having long-term priorities is really big. So I just knew, like, they're just, there has, as a spender, you know, you have to have a level of maturity to be like, okay, if I really do spend everything I make, I'm going to be broke. So we can't do that. And I would say on the other end, savers have to develop some maturity to say, okay, I can't just hoard and hold on 24-7. I have to actually live and take a little bit of risk and enjoy, which takes some maturing on their end, right? Because it both is a little bit of this like playing into the fear of what I'm not going to get if I go to these extremes of a complete spender or saver. So for a spender, I've just had to look ahead and say, okay, I know 60-year-old Rachel is still going to be a spender. It's just part of my natural wiring and I want her to have a great life. So what are the things I need to do to set her up well in the future? And that's where investing comes into play, saving for retirement, all of that. And so that's been a big thing. And then my spending in the present, I just have some pretty hard lines. Like I will never use debts. I won't go into debt for stuff. I will save up and pay for stuff with cash, live within my means. And then within my budget, my husband and I's budget, we have line items for us. So I have a Rachel line item. So I can still enjoy and spend in that line item with that amount of money that we've agreed on. So I still get to enjoy life and spend, but it's just not completely out of control. Yeah. So that's where I think that middle ground has come for me. Um, and it's been really helpful because I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, I know that I'm doing the, the smart thing, but I still, you guys love investing. So you maybe feel different, but still like when I invest, I'm like, it just feels like this black hole. Like I just like put money in. I'm like, I just feel like I'll never see it again, even though I know I will <laughs> later down in life, but it is still hard. I've been doing it, you know, for 13 years. And it's still, as a spender, you're still kind of like, oh, man, Damn. that could take a really great vacation. But yeah. <laughs> we're going to put that money away. I think that's reassuring in some ways to hear that, though. You know, you, uh, you've you grown up uh, around money experts and uh, you're a money expert yourself. And to hear that you still have those, you know, psychological uh, challenges and the cognitive biases that come with investing. It's, it's reassuring to know that everyone goes through these challenges. And I think speaking of challenges, this year and last year have been particularly challenging for everyone around the world. You know, we're speaking on opposite sides of, of the world and we're both uh, facing cost of living crisis, inflation, uh, you know, rising interest rates. Uh, the story is is pretty universal. And really when it comes to a cost of living crisis, there are two ways 
broadly that you can deal with it. Find ways to make more money or uh, find ways to reduce your spending. And, you know, between your show, The Rachel Cruz Show, and co-hosting your dad's show, The Dave Ramsey Show, you've spoken to... I was going to say thousands, but it's probably millions of people at this point um, about this challenge. Uh, what are some of the things that you're hearing and what are some of the top tips that you have when it comes to this? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and again, so many people, they're facing it and it's like, oh. And so I think the hardest thing to realize is, you know, whether you read studies that wages aren't keeping up with inflation, you know, like you can, you can pull all this data but the reality is, at the end of the day, you know, people are sitting in their homes and they're and they're thinking, oh, my gosh, like, it costs how much to buy groceries right now? We don't have it. So that pain and that fear is so real. Um, and I think one of the things is it's so uncomfortable, but there has to be a level of sacrifice. Like, there's a point with money that it, it is so emotional, but also it is so mathematical. Like, it doesn't, math doesn't have feelings, right? So the numbers have to work for you. And even though it's hard and it's not fun— you have to make those work. So whether that is cutting back expenses and saying, man, the luxuries that we were able to afford right now, we can't. Hopefully in the future, and there's some indicators that it might start getting better, but right now we have to still make this math work. Math isn't emotional. We are emotional with it, but we have to make this work. And so it is, it's always hard to go backwards. So it's always hard to have something and then to pull back. That's a natural bent I think everyone has. But at the end, I always say, like, what is that price, though? Is the price of having all the subscriptions, going out to eat when you want, even a car that you can't, you know, the car payment is too much, like having all this stuff, is that worth your peace of mind? Because at the end of the day, I think when if you remove it and actually gain peace and control and can sleep at night, that is a much higher quality of life than having just stuff around you. So even though it's hard to go backwards on your expenses, it's something that that everyone, you really do have to look at and say, man, what are my needs versus wants? So that's that part of the equation. Um, and I would say too on that, to look to see, okay, what are just habits that we kind of think are needs because it's just what we do versus no, what do we what do we really need? Because uh, we can get in rhythms in life and you just, you know, whether it's picking up fast food on Tuesday nights because the kids have sports or like whatever the thing is that it just becomes a habit, question everything because you will find some money. You really can. And then on the working side, you know, I think the the internet has brought so much good and so much terribleness <laughs> to the world. But in one way, I'm like, you can make great money. You know, this is like one of the best times to, to start a side business or a side hustle in life. So whether it's actually physically going out and doing something or even just from your computer from home, you know, whether it's freelancing or doing what you can to earn some extra money you know, doing that is helpful. But I I would rather cut expenses than take on extra work uh, because I think there's a point that you can just keep working more and more and more to keep funding a lifestyle and they just kind of keep pacing versus saying, hey, if we have to live within this, what are the sacrifices we can make there to kind of have some margin? And again, just for a period of time, hopefully this isn't forever, um, but it really is important to evaluate because the end result is you winning with money long-term and having peace. That's mm. the biggest stuff that that is so key. Are there any great examples you've seen recently of people being able to generate passive income online? Ren and I are doing a challenge at the moment where we did the maths. As you said, maths numbers don't lie. They don't have feelings. We've worked out that if you invest $100 a month for 40 years and you just take the market return, that'll generate 
uh, a savings of $350,000. So we're challenging ourselves to generate an extra $100 a month. Uh, but we're battling with ideas. <laughs> You're on, battling with ideas. <laughs> I'm battling with ideas on how to do it. So do you have any examples from people that you've been working with or speaking to on, on generating passive income? Yes. Oh, gosh. I mean, I, on the education side, people will pay a lot for things like tutoring. So, again, I, you kind of mm. have to have some, maybe some specialties in this. But anything around tutoring, um, teaching a language to um, abroad, which is the great thing about the Internet, you can reach people that way. Um, I find people that are great when it comes to like grammar and writing, editing papers and articles for businesses. And again, it's more of that freelance work. So I think that's where the power is. If, if you can be your own boss um, and be able to generate that income, I think that's great. But I would also say just as a jump start, honestly, selling stuff online. Yeah. Like we have all so much crap in our house that we don't use and don't need. And so that can't last forever. Obviously, you'd run out of stuff eventually. Um, but if you just kind of need like a jump start, just look and see like, okay, what are the clothes that I don't wear? Uh, wear secondhand stuff. I can sell stuff to or furniture, tea, like whatever it is, see what's around that you can sell because people, people will pay for it. Yeah. One of our, so Bryce and I are struggling with the challenge a little bit, but one of our team members here, uh, M has been killing it. She, uh, she rents her, uh, like her formal dresses and stuff online. And she was telling us she earned $600 last month yeah. doing it. We we're like, oh, damn oh my God. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But so, I don't think I've got any, no one wants to rent my t shirts. That's the thing. No, no, <laughs> no definitely not. <laughs> so, Rachel, when we're, That's think, awesome. when, when we're thinking about uh, money and, you know, saving for retirement, one thing we think uh, is sometimes lacking from the conversation is what what is doing enough? You know, in, we're in our 30s and when, when we're younger, what is doing enough now to uh, get to the number you want? And then when you're thinking about your future, what is that retirement number, that golden number that will give you enough to live the life that you want um, as you're older? So when, when we sort of think about that, what, how much do, should we be doing today and then what should we be aiming for in the future, how do you think about that? And I guess, do you have a, like a golden number that you're chasing? Yeah, so we kind of run this formula that we tell majority of people doing the baby steps here at Ramsey Solutions that 15% of your income should go into retirement. So overall, that's that we have found for majority of the scope of ages, like that that should be enough by the time you get to retirement. Um, that 15% until you pay off your house and you do some other really big goals. And then once you're completely debt-free, then you can, you'll, you'll have the income to throw more at retirement. But I love that y'all said that because I think it's true that retirement's more of a number, not always an age. You know, people kind of think I got to get to the certain age and then I'm going to retire. But some people get to that age and they don't have retirement savings. Mm. So they can't retire. They have to keep working. So that number I think is, is a really important goal. Um, yeah. And I'll be honest, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, I don't know if I have a specific number that I'm like, oh, yeah, we're shooting for that. I think starting early was really helpful. So we knew if we kind of just stay on our rhythm, we're going to be more than fine and it's going to be great. Um, but, yeah, we we have more of a number for, like, short-term savings mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff that, like, we want to hit this in order to do X, Y, and Z. But retirement specifically, um, yeah, we kind of just keep our, that 15% going in. Uh, and so that's kind of what we're doing right now. I, 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 it's a good exercise. I'm like, man, we've talked about numbers in other areas of our financial life, but retirement itself, I just keep being like, oh yeah, it's just, 
I'm, we're talking happen. away that 15%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'm the same and I'm sure Bryce is as well. I don't think any of us have a number that we no. put up on the wall. And I'm not sure how big the FIRE movement, the financial independence retire early movement is in the US. But I look at the certainty that people, because I respect people who do FIRE a lot. You know, they're saving so much and they're cutting their expenses. and that, But they have a FIRE number that they're chasing. But for me, I think about the future. You know, we're living through inflation at the moment. I think about how much I'm going to change in the future. And I'm like, I, I, I have no idea how much I'm going to want to spend when I'm 60, how many kids I'll have mm. if I've paid off a house. Mm. And so I think like that uncertainty is always the thing that, um, that gets me. And I guess, how, how do you think about that? Like when you're planning for such an uncertain future, how do you, um, how do you factor all that in? Yeah, it's a great question. Cause yeah, even that movement, like you said, part of it's so intriguing and impressive that you're like, oh my gosh, we're doing all this so early and they're able to retire. But I think too that, that that there's a mindset, not with all of them, but some of them where it's like, I just don't want to work anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a dignity to working. There's something about being able to put gifts into the world and what you have to say and what you have to offer that can be a great thing. So seeing work as like the evil thing that it can be in that movement, you know, I kind of hate that. Sometimes they vilify work even though some work is terrible and not fun and you work for a jerky boss and you need to get out and do the thing that you're passionate about and that you love, that's the goal. Um, so when you have that, I think like ending work isn't the goal in life. It's to have just a prosperous, enjoyable life. So how can I do that? And I think work can play into that for people's story. Maybe not everybody, but uh, that's where a little bit sometimes when I hear them talk, I'm like, oh, but work isn't the enemy, but they sometimes can make it feel like that, you know, certain, mm. certain ones I've heard. Um, but yeah, but the uncertainty, yeah, I think that it's very real. And the hard thing is we don't have a crystal ball. So I, I think going back and looking at patterns and looking at data and doing what we can to see, okay, how, how has history repeated itself? And, you know, the truth is, you know, there's kind of the doomsdayers on one end that's like, all the banks are going to collapse and money's not even going to be a currency anymore. And the dollar, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, well, if that happens, we're all screwed because there's like <laughs> nothing, nothing you plan for that is ever going to even be the plan that you're going to use. So like at that point, there's like really no way to, to like plan for that. Cause that's just the end of the world is what mm -hmm. it feels like. But I, so I don't think we're at that extreme point. I think that the, you know, here, especially in America, I know there's some difference, you know, uh, with Australia and America, but for me, I'm like, I just believe in our economy enough that I still have a a confidence to invest and to still be in the market because I just look at patterns and data and know. And inflation, it goes up and down all the time, you know, throughout history. It was crazy here in the U.S. in the 80s, 70s and 80s, went kind of back down, you know, and then, I mean, you, you can watch patterns. So mm. I'm like, I just don't think that this is going to be forever. And I don't think our worst days are ahead either. So Maybe a little Pollyanna, but that's coming from data and just confidence in the market. Equity mates, we are going to take a very quick break. And on the other side of this, we ask Rachel, what is the one thing that she disagrees with her dad, Dave Ramsey, when it comes to money? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast and we're speaking to Rachel Cruz, the number one New York Times bestselling author and the daughter of Dave Ramsey, the... I guess the number one money expert in the world, you'd say? You could say that. I'd say. <laughs> uh, after you, of course. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but we've spoken to Rachel about uh, budgeting, money habits, getting your personal finances right. And in the second half of this interview, we're turning to the investing and wealth building side of it and asking Rachel how she approaches it. So, Rachel, let's move to I- investing and sort of building wealth Um through through the markets or I guess through investing in, in assets. You mentioned that um, it still feels like a bit of a black hole to you. So how would you define your approach to investing? My approach to investing, uh, one of them is consistency. I will always be investing. Um, I don't I don't see I don't see a day unless again something crazy extreme happens that none of us are really prepared for happen occurs. Uh, then that could be a different story. But even when the market's down, I mean, I think consistency is so key because even when you buy at the bottom, it's on sale. You're getting more for what you're paying. And when you when the market goes back up, you get all those returns. You get those gains as it goes up. You get to ride that ride. And so I think that's really important is, is the consistency. Um, also, I would say part of it is that I don't allow fear to be my financial advisor. Uh, fear can cause people to freak out and make really stupid decisions with their money because they're thinking so short term, not long term. Um, so yeah, those are two big philosophies that I have as an overall general approach. But then, um, you know, I have my husband and I, you know, investing into the market, traditional type investing we do, but also real estate, real estate. I come from a family that loves real estate. Uh, my husband's in that line of work. And so we have one rental property right now, but we kind of do like to diversify. So we do have some goals even within that sector of saying, hey, what if we, you know, did a little bit more when it comes to real estate in the future? So that's that's something we're thinking about. But that, again, more long term um, and not necessarily to generate passive income, but more for long term equity and all that. So, yeah. so, yeah, there's different approaches to take, but I'm not a I'm definitely not a. a huge risk taker. I mean, I can do some aggressive type mutual funds, which I'm comfortable with, but like crypto, like all the new fad stuff. I'm like, eh. I kind of sit on the sidelines and see how it plays out. And maybe I'll jump in one day, but I'm, I'm just watching it. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask uh, about the, some of the more exotic asset classes, shall we say like crypto, uh, not, not part of your investment plan. No, no. Right now. <laughs> I'll never say never though. I'll never say never. Um, Again, it's just too new. I just, when I put my hard-earned money, I'm like, I've, after I work hard and pay taxes and have money, I want to just put it in something that I know is pretty much a guarantee. So it sounds boring, but I'm like, yeah, just some good gross stock mutual funds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, on that, so uh, mutual funds or for, uh, in Australia, we, we call them listed investment companies or uh, managed funds, okay. but they're, they're exactly the same concept. Um, do you, do you uh, really 
stick to mutual funds or are you also investing in uh, individual stocks as well? You know, I don't do a lot of individual stocks. Um, you know, if it's a small percentage of someone's world net worth and they have this one company they love, you know, I think that's, you know, it's fine. I, I don't I don't teach on that very often because I just think there's a lot of risk in it and people that try to play the market. I think I think I do know studies have been done panning out. Do people come out better ahead doing that? And usually not. Usually you end up losing money in the day trading kind of thing. Um, but again, if it's a small percentage of your world and that's what people want to do, I think that's I think that's fine if that's what they want to do. I don't. Mm. Uh, I, don't I don't. Honestly, I just I the risk. It's just, I'm like, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So again, the mutual fund is a lot of diversification, which I like. And I mean, it may sound lazy, but it's also just true. I'm like, I just don't have time. You know, some people are on like these apps and they're sitting there, you know, and I'm like, I mean, if that's like your thing, like, that's great. But I'm like, I have three little kids. I got a job. I got to get home. I'm doing dinner. You know, two kids are at grandma's tonight. Like, I'm like, my life is hectic anyway. So sitting on an app, jumping money around kind of stresses me out. And so the idea of just like parking money somewhere, knowing it's going to grow on average 12% over the course of, you know, 70 years we've seen, that's what feels good to me. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was a really big learning for me because when I started investing, as I said, Bryce had the perfect money upbringing, me not so much. And, you know, I saved up my money when I was a university student, put it in an individual stock and managed to lose it all. And a big financial epiphany for me early days was that, there are these, you know, ETFs and mutual funds out there that give you instant diversification. And I think for a lot of people listening and for a lot of people starting their investing journey, it's never been easier to get started. You know, apps like Robinhood in the US and the, there's a number in, in Australia that are similar have brought costs down and have made the world more accessible. But it's still such a confusing world. We have all the access, but but none of the knowledge in many cases when we're getting started. That's a great point. What, what are some of the steps... Um, you know, if you could go back and speak to 20-year-old Alec, what, what are some of the steps you think are the most important steps when getting started? Gosh, I don't know why I feel so old school talking to you guys. I'm like, y'all are probably like on like the, the cusp of all this stuff that's happening technology-wise. So honestly, it sounds old school, but it's just true. I love having an investment professional in my corner, someone that does this day in and day out and finding someone that has the heart of a teacher, not the heart of a salesman. So again, someone that is willing to teach you because to your point, there's not a lot of knowledge. And so intimidation is such a big hurdle for people when it comes to their finances. And I find when you get these like little sectors of your money life, whether it's insurance or taxes or investing, it's like you get these very specific lanes and it can be really intimidating because people, they're using this lingo and these terms and you're like, oh gosh, I don't really know. And so understanding where you're putting your money is so key. So having an actual person that you can talk to in your corner that, again, does this day in and day out. I mean, they know so much stuff about your overall financial plan, I think is so helpful and it's so worth it. So I like having someone in my corner. Now, you know, in the U.S., we have like Vanguard, you know, where you can yeah put some money in. It's index funds and that's great. And people, you know, can do that. But I would tell people, and I do, I would sit down with someone and just say, hey, here's my overall financial picture. Because even ours, we sat with ours in January. And there was even like stuff with taxes and our giving with nonprofit stuff that you can put in this fund and take the growth. Like you can do some stuff that you're like, oh, I never would have probably known that. Mm. So specific. Uh, But they know that stuff. So have someone on your team that's great. And again, that you trust, uh, not someone that you're like, oh, they feel kind of greasy. If they do, that's probably because they're kind of greasy and don't, <laughs> don't give them your money because you probably won't trust them. 
Uh, but having someone in your corner, I think, is really is really key. So, Rachel, investing is a obviously a lifelong journey. I don't think anyone ever perfects it, and I think the same probably applies to money journey as well. As we grow older and face new challenges in life, there's always new things to understand and and get better at when it comes to our money journey. So what do, what do you think you still get wrong or what are you trying to work on when it comes to your money habits at the moment? I think as a natural spender, I still contend like contentment is something that I continue to, to have to work on. I go through seasons of it that I feel pretty content and I'm good. And then I go through seasons where I'm discontent and I like start buying and emotional spending and that kind of thing. And it's never anything big and luxurious, but I'm like, Amazon has been like the worst thing for me because I'm like, oh yeah, there's a pair of earrings that are $10. They're cute and some bucks. So I, you know, I can get that emotional high so quickly and it's so inexpensive, but still it's, it's, it's so funny how money is such a reflection of us and what's going on. And so, you know, I think for me, um, you know, the big stuff, you know, we've gotten out of debt. My husband and I have been doing this for 13 years. So, so with the big money principles, we're not perfect at it, but we've got them down. We, we do budget consistently and all of that. But I think it's more of the heart's posture uh, for so many for so many people. I mean, everybody, including myself, that you really do have to check because it's out of that is how you handle your money and why you handle the money you, the way you do. So uh, so I'd say it's still the biggest hurdle. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's probably still just buying stuff and telling myself, no, I'm like, don't stop it. So I started having like add to cart days where I'm like, oh, I'm bored or like, oh, I just got something days. new. So I'll just add it to cart. And I won't buy it. And it's amazing when the dopamine goes down and you're like, okay, I, you're off the high. You kind of feel like you bought something because you still kind of shopped and added stuff, <laughs> but you didn't buy it. So that's helped me. Nice. Nice. I like that. I add like to that. Cart yeah. days. It'd be great if Amazon could add like a 48 hour cooling off feature. You, you couldn't buy it now. Wouldn't, wouldn't be good for their <laughs> business, good, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It would be good for social responsibility yeah. <laughs> though. <laughs> so Rachel, we're almost out of time, but we, uh, we did want to ask, uh, this question. Uh, your dad has obviously been speaking about money for what, 30 plus years now. He's, uh, uh, one of the biggest experts in the world, uh, when it comes to money. Is there anything that you disagree with your dad on when it comes to money? Okay. So, I mean, I, again, probably the, the big value stuff, no. I'm like, I, you know, I, I just see how debt harms people. I see when you don't have the money to invest, you're missing out on compound interest. I see when you're not a giver that there's just probably a void of joy that is only really found in giving and being generous. So, like, all these big principles, you know, yeah, I, I see and understand. I I, I do think the way he goes about stuff, though, is different than me because he he is so black and white. And like he he even has this phrase and I make fun of him for it because he's like change and he'll clap twice. And he's like, I mean, if you've been doing stupid, just change. And I'm like, it's sometimes hard to change. And he's like, and he uses an example all the time of smoking. He's like, you met those people that have smoked for 30 years and then they quit overnight because they change. And I'm like. No, there's still <laughs> nicotine in their body that they have to like chew gum and get a patch. Like, like it's hard. It is hard. It's hard to change. So, so the way the way I have again, where he's a little probably a little bit more black and white on stuff. I'm like, you know, it it, it is hard. Life is really it is really hard, and, and it's not easy just to change because we are who we are. And so, working on yourself and understanding again your motivations is such a part of this whole money thing. So. Uh, so I'd say it's in those little quirks here and there where he says stuff that I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm going to use that in the office. 
change. <laughs> oh my gosh, change. I'm like, sorry, why don't you change sometimes? <laughs> Love that. Well, Rachel, it's been an absolute pleasure. We thoroughly sort of thank you for, for your time. We do have an ongoing um, sort of competition throughout the year called uh, the Equity Mates Awards. And one of the components of those awards is Expert of the Year. And it is voted for by our community and by appearing on the show, you are now automatically in the running for Equity Mates Expert of the Year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, that would be an honour. <laughs> so at the end of the year, first international guest, I think. So um, for 2023. So at the end of the year, they will all vote um, to help them get a little bit of an understanding and insight into you beyond what we've discussed about today. Where would you put the beautiful glass trophy that we send you if you win? Okay. Um, so in my clot, we built a house two years ago before, or no, no, it's been three years. It's before COVID. We moved in November of 19, right before everything happened. So part of my dream was, I do love, I already said, I love clothes, accessories, all things. So in my closet, I have this, like these two shelves with a bench and these two. So I have my two pairs of very nice shoes. The only two nice, nice, nice shoes that I have those and like a purse. I have some stuff kind of displayed. I would put it on that shelf. Love it. I would put it on one of those shelves right there. We would expect a photo, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. If I win, vote for me, y'all. That would be so fun. Well, Rachel, so uh, thank you so much. As I said, uh, we appreciate your time. And I know a lot of uh, people would have taken a lot of value out of that, given what's going on with uh, with the current environment and everyone sort of thinking about the right money habits to ensure that we do have a good foundation. Uh, we do appreciate uh, you spending the time with us today. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, guys. So appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Rachel. You have been listening to an Equity Mates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.